0: You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison.
1: The time has come for America to hear the truth. We are going to stand with them, and not only are we going to fight for their rights, we're going to stand up for our rights here in our state, in our home. labor's rights in the United States of America is not going to be decided in the courts it's not going to be decided in congress it's not going to be decided on talk radio and it's sure it sure is not going to be decided on fox news
2: Solidarity.
3: This is Adam Keller with my co-host and fellow agitator, David Storey. It's uh, Saturday, July 10th, and we are broadcasting live online and on the radio on WVNN and the Huntsville, Decatur, Athens listening area from Athens, Alabama. A recording of this program will play tomorrow, Sunday, uh, July 11th, 2021, on the great WGOL in Russellville, Alabama, and sometime next week on WHIV in New Orleans, Louisiana. Today we are talking to The Appeal about worker-owned media, about what's happening in southern labor, and we'll touch on some shenanigans from the city of Huntsville. Uh, We're taking your calls, all that and more on today's Valley Labor Report. Remember, folks, the North Alabama DSA has a necessities drive every Saturday from 3 to 5 p.m. at the IBEW Local 558 Union Hall on Clinton Avenue, right across from Yellowhammer and Campus 805. So bring by your non perishable food items, clothes, blankets, all that good stuff. Uh, your donations will be forwarded to Mana House. Follow at DSA North Alabama on Twitter for more information. If you want to see what we are up to throughout the week, get our snide quips about the news of the day, then follow us on social media, facebook.com slash the Valley Labor Report, Twitter at Labor Reporters. You can find Jacob at Jacob M-A-L. If you missed part of the show and you want to go back and watch it later, search YouTube for the Valley Labor Report. Make sure you subscribe to our channel. You can go back and watch the full show there. And we also clip segments throughout the week. We upload the program on more than 11 different podcasting apps, so check your platform of choice and see if we're on there. You can check out the slash subscribe. We have a website where you can buy our hats and stickers at the thevalleylaborreport.org. If you appreciate our work and want to keep us on the air, consider throwing us a couple bucks a month on patreon.com slash Report. And finally, I want to remind our listeners that Labor Notes and the Teamsters for Democratic Union office uh, was subjected to a major flood recently, and they had quite a bit of damage in the office, lost a lot of books, a lot of materials. So if you are so inclined, we'd love for you to contribute to that cause. Go check out Labor Notes on social media to find out how to donate. And if you can uh, hear us now or see us now, then you notice it's a little bit different today. Uh, Jacob is on vacation. And so we have the OG David Story back in the house today with us. Uh, and we have me uh, trying to fill in poorly. <laughs> um, if, if everything goes according to plan, if you can hear this right now and you can see this right now, then that's a small miracle. So uh, thank you for your patience today. We appreciate that. Uh, We do have some great guests today, Anna and Megan from The Appeal. Uh, They're going to talk to us about what is The Appeal, what's happened with that website and the media uh, that they have been producing and their plans moving forward to create worker-owned media. And as I mentioned earlier, there are quite a few updates from across the South and across the country in terms of the labor movement. So, while David uh, tries to fix whatever I have broken technology wise, uh, I do want to mention a couple other things before we get going today. Uh, friend of the show, Solo Monk, does have a new album out Material Ghost and a Spiritual Illusion. Uh, you can find that on any other uh, streaming apps that you so choose. And check out his stuff on uh, Twitter at SoloMonk256. So we appreciate all of his support of this show. Uh, he's putting out good music. Uh, David, I do appreciate you being in here this morning uh, because it's it's been a it's been a stressful morning already. Uh, but I couldn't do it without David, and I know many of our longtime listeners and fans are definitely glad to see you and hear you today. It's nice
1: to be back. Just uh, not quite under the perfect perfect scenario but no, that's okay no. we struggled through it uh
3: as you said you're the relief pitcher and you've been called in and we're already losing it's the <laughs> it's the bottom of the ninth inning we're down about 12 runs and uh we're calling on you to try to save the
1: game i think we're good i, I just checked the uh, youtube and we're we're streaming on youtube so all right awesome Thank uh you're
3: if you're on youtube or uh, on facebook and that's how you're listening or watching Feel free to comment in. Uh, let us know what's going wrong. <laughs> we'll do our best to fix it. Uh, for those of you just tuning in, this is the Valley Labor Report. We are Alabama's only union labor radio show in this state. Uh, and we are proud to continue to cover labor movement stories here in North Alabama and across the
1: South. So we got Anna and Megan on the, on the Zoom, correct? Can y'all hear us okay? Just to check in. Have you got? Yes,
4: hello.
1: Awesome. All right,
3: so Anna, Megan. First of all, we appreciate you being here uh, this morning, and we wanted to just give you a chance first to tell us who you are and tell us a little bit about the appeal.
5: Meg, you want to kick it off? Sure. Um, And it's just Meg, by the way, not Megan. Um, and so I'm a reporter or I used to be a reporter for The Appeal uh, we're kind of in a limbo state right now after everything that's that's happened um, yeah Anna do you want to go?
4: Sure I'm Anna Simonton um, I was a senior editor for The Appeal um, which is a, a digital news outlet focused um, historically mostly on the criminal legal system um, we've covered a lot of the um, injustices within that system as well as the activism and organizing um, to change the way that um, we deal with um, you know the harms that people do and and uh, try to move away from mass incarceration and toward toward some other way of addressing things Um, and uh, right now I'm working with the transition team to um, Relaunch the appeal into a worker-led news outlet as y'all mentioned um also shout out to everyone in alabama i'm really happy to be here my mom's from dallas county thank you for having us oh,
3: cool. <laughs> that's awesome yeah, yeah i know i know dallas county uh very well selma the seat of dallas county of course and uh tell us a little bit you mentioned the transition team and the plans to relaunch as worker on media what led to that point
5: So we, the appeal is, had been around for about um, three or maybe four years, um, working in the criminal justice space, doing reporting um, in that area. And for a while, there had been issues with um, the way the organization was managed, which uh, the workers had brought up over and over and over again and just it never got addressed um and so we began to feel as people um left the organization and were pushed out or um things like that that our only option was to band together collectively to um make ourselves heard and try to get the concerns we had raised addressed so on may 10th we did that and it was kind of crazy because at the exact same time that we went public at like five minutes later, uh, we got a letter from an email from management saying that there would be layoffs and that leadership was stepping away. Uh, and it was just like the timing was crazy. Um, and because we had just publicly announced at that time, you know, on Twitter with press releases, a website and, and all that, there was a lot of attention on us in that moment and on our union, um, And so we um, publicized what was going on with the layoffs uh, and we ended up, we we put out a request for people to send emails through Action Network to management and we ended up getting 400 or more emails sent to management telling them to pause the layoffs. We asked management to pause the layoffs um, and rescind the one that had actually happened. and we ended up and to recognize our union, and then the next day they said uh, that they would voluntarily recognize our union, they rescinded the one layoff, they paused the other, like, eight or ten that they had planned, um, and it felt like a huge victory, and it, and it was, uh, but then a few weeks later, they said that they were planning on shutting the organization down, and... So at that point we were already in negotiations with management um, and our union um, d- tried to avoid a situation where the appeal was shut down. Ultimately they decided that they weren't going to budge on closing the organization, but we, through our union, secured a lot of uh, wins. We were able to secure a really a generous severance package for all of our coworkers. workers um, that covers like secures them financially and provides them with health care. And in addition to that, we're still in negotiations right now to try to get like the rights to the website and things like that so we can establish a new organization, a worker- led organization, and continue on with the same mission that we had before.
1: it's It's interesting uh, because it, uh, it when 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 news broke when y'all when y'all initially, uh, led with the uh, we we've organized a union and we're asking for management recognition uh, and then minutes later the you know the the hammer dropped on the layoffs and things um, I I kind of started going back and reading some about uh, about the appeal and the history I, did, I mean us being from, from Alabama unfortunately we didn't know a whole lot other than. What we've seen initially on Twitter, I still don't know a whole lot, of, unfortunately. But it almost looks—and correct me if I'm wrong—but it almost looks like that was their goal. Uh, and, and and I'm not trying to squash the the concept that uh, that they were retaliating against workers because they, there may be leverage there. But it, it it almost looked to me like that was their goal was to to shutter the doors. Initially, prior to anything else, uh, with this d- diversion or you know the the, the separation from uh, from this tide, uh, I can't remember the exact name, the tide Ab- advocacy group or something like that, which seems like the the appeal that was the appeal's main funding. There is that is that assumption correct, or or do y'all know less than what we know?
4: Uh, no I, I think there's there's pieces of that that definitely um, are, are part of our understanding um, so TIDES that you mentioned, TIDES Advocacy is the fiscal sponsor, so they're 501c3, right. and the appeal, uh, they sponsored a group called the Justice Collaborative that had been doing criminal justice reform advocacy work. The appeal started as a project under the Justice Collaborative and was editorially independent. So there's several layers of kind of nonprofits involved here. Um, but we had been through a number of restructurings over the past year including a merger of the Justice Collaborative and the Appeal so what were once two separate sides of an organization um, one really focusing on trying to pass legislation and um, things like that and then as you know as journalists like that's not what we do we write about that stuff Um, we're kind of all thrown together uh, and um, ultimately that that was um, a powerful thing because we we got to know colleagues that we were siloed from before and we, we built trust and we built power together um, but in terms of the day to day like operations of the organization it was very confusing who was supposed to be doing what yeah. and um, that was one of the reasons one of the things that, that led to our union campaign was just the constantly moving target of You know, job reassignments and um, constantly shifting coverage priorities. We're being told to do one thing uh, and, and it's like urgent, and we have to drop everything and do it one day, and then the next day, drop everything and do something totally different um Y'all so we're, we're coming yeah. up
3: on a break uh, on the other side we'd love to hear more about the staff union you guys organized and the mission that you have going forward this is the valley labor report
0: please stay tuned looking forward to it you're listening to the valley labor report with david story and jacob morrison
1: All workers deserve fair wages, affordable health care, and a retirement plan that enables them to retire with dignity. All workers deserve to have a say about the terms and conditions of their employment, not just the bosses. With the Machinist Union's over 600,000 members having our back, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama, has been serving workers' interests for over 20 years. Our members have the best health insurance in the area with zero deductible plans. We set the bar for pay in the area with over $40 an hour rates, consistently averaging the highest non-college degree jobs, in north alabama with some of the best retirement plans in the industry we can do the same for you together we remain united raising our voices to ensure justice on the job and service in the community the machinist union is a true southern union founded in atlanta in 1888 We have been serving members' needs for 132 years. The longevity of our union proves our dedication and loyalty to the working class. The Machinist Union isn't just for machinists. We represent workers in government, healthcare, auto workers, aerospace workers, transportation workers, the defense industry, and woodworking. Our members even build the iconic Harley-Davidson motorcycles. If you're ready to get serious about better benefits and wages, If you want to have a voice in your workplace with over 600,000 members to back you up, call or email us today at 256-286-3704 or organize at IAMAW44.org.
3: They gave us a little bit of background about themselves and what was the appeal, what is the appeal moving forward. Uh, And when we left off, they were sharing a little bit about some of the troubles they were having as a staff and their decision to unionize, present their concerns to management. So before uh, we pick back up with that, could y'all remind us, uh, what union did you guys affiliate with?
4: Uh, We went with News Guild. Um, They've been... um, supportive of a number of uh, media unions at um, the new yorker and yeah. um jacobin and uh so they've they've been amazing um, that's
1: Mary Beth, i think and uh who's the other one i can't remember her well, name. yeah we actually had some news
3: guild uh information on i believe the last episode we, yeah. we've been covering quite a bit in terms of news organizing knocking and, it yeah news guild's having a, a a hell of a record in terms of winning elections and and we've seen a big trend in organizing among media and nonprofits. so you guys are kind of uh, a little bit of both in that respect so uh definitely respect what y'all have accomplished in in that part so we left off talking about the the issues and david mentioned some of the background as well about kind of the appeal and the funding uh and the desire
1: to ultimately shut down uh the program Yeah, well, it sounded like the desire to shut down the program come out of an absolute mismanagement of the program. Because from what I read, there was like, I mean, it was an ungodly number of layoffs and, uh, I don't know if there, it it was, it was a a tremendous turnover. Like I want to say it was like forty-one people in just a in just a matter of a couple of months. Is that correct?
5: I think it was like yeah 38 or close to 40 in, in um, over I think it was about a year. Oh, was that okay.
1: right <laughs> Which is and still insane of- for the amount of of, of you know a- a- active employees.
4: Right. like the, the number of employees has always been, I want to say between 50 and 70. like it's you know fluctuated some over the years, but like we were 50 some people um for most of that year when there was that level of turnover so it's huge
1: yeah so i mean that, that kind of speaks to management's role in the and in the insanity that it sounds like was going on there and uh as is the case in many industries uh right. management rarely knows what uh how to operate a business they they rely on the workers and good thing y'all stepped up
3: yeah I think that's amazing what y'all have been able to do in terms of preserving livelihoods uh, for your members and that you know that makes all the difference when you have a union that can go to bat for you when there is mismanagement when there is uh, you know a closing business that's people's livelihoods their income their health care and having a union that can organize around those needs and defend those members is, is so critical uh, so I want y'all to just pick back up in terms of uh, you presented your uh, your concerns to management. Management is saying, "Well, actually, we're going to just shut the whole thing down." Uh, and so now, as part of your transition team, what have you guys been have, what have y'all been working on in terms of this vision of a worker owned media?
4: Yeah, um, we are aiming to relaunch the appeal and we've um, uh, reached uh, a preliminary agreement um, that ties the fiscal sponsor who actually owns the the rights to the website and other intellectual property. We'll transfer that and other non-financial assets once we've created a new legal entity. So we'll technically be a separate organization. Um, but the, the vision is to build off of the work of the appeal um, and to continue publishing on the appeal website and to really um, get back to our roots in terms of reporting on um, criminal justice issues and to do so with um, a sharpened focus on racial justice and the communities that are affected the most by the criminal legal system
1: interesting so are y'all organizing now as a cooperative that you know will be democratically functioning
4: so we're gonna stay in a nonprofit and so we we can't be a cooperative in in terms of the actual legal entity and and in terms of the as like an economic structure so we won't have cooperative ownership um, but we are uh, looking at models of what's called a worker directed, a worker self directed nonprofit, and so there will ah. be um, a democratic internal structure in terms of how decisions are made um, and and how the work is done.
1: And I assume that that's because of the I guess just because of the legal ramifications with wanting to stay the, with a the nonprofit five hundred one c and not being able to do the cooperative. That's interesting, uh, but the, but it's still going to be worker led. And and the, and I guess that begs the question is. Uh, you know, where where does the union kind of fall now? Because uh, what part, what role are they playing in the entire thing? Meg, did you want to take that? <laughs> Sorry yeah. to throw throwing the hard questions. I'm just I'm very interested in this. Uh, I I broke away from the radio station a few about a month ago with the intent of starting a worker cooperative here, and so it I it, this is kind of a personal uh, you know, a challenge for me as well.
4: Yeah
5: yeah we we definitely want to stay unionized it's kind of like you said it's weird because we unionized the past organization that has since shut down but we're doing um a lot of the work that we're doing like obviously we could not be here right now without the victories that our union secured we um, are all working without pay to, to do this um, and if we didn't have the financial security that we had secured through our union, if we didn't we're in a position to negotiate with tithes to get the intellectual property through the winds of our union, we wouldn't be able to do all this. So we um, and we're kind of like self-organized in much the same way that we are organizing campaign to to get the union in the first place was um, we're working in a, in a series of committees with like uh, people working on messaging, people working on Securing funders people working on the all the legal needs that that are required to establish an entity so we're already operating like a collective and we want to continue to be unionized going forward we're still in touch with the amazing amazing um person from news guild uh who's working with us michael applegate um shout out to michael applegate she's the best um and that's just something we have to figure out um as we continue the intent is certainly there but like it's all confusing because we're not a thing right now
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know i have a management to uh to To negotiate with, I don't guess what. Uh, and uh, uh, the last question before I let Adam jump in because I say he's about chomping at the bit. What about Rob Smith? Because uh, every article that I've read, I want to hate this guy, and <laughs> and I'm just hoping that somehow he's out of the picture now.
4: So we're, you know, I mentioned that we're we're still um, in the process of securing the, the intellectual property <laughs> and the assets that we need. So,
3: so it may be a month or two <laughs> before you can tell us how you really feel. <laughs> Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs>
4: I'll just say we really want to focus on moving forward and, yeah. and all of that. Um, but, no, I, Rob, he, what we do know is that um, he's on to the next thing. We don't know what his next project is, but he's already working on some kind of new new venture. Yeah, so we, we don't really we, we care we what he. his new
1: project is. <laughs> Except for those people
3: who may be working for him, in yeah. which case, please call us. Yeah, um, we'll help you out. We're, we're coming up on a hard break here so uh, after the break I definitely want to hear from y'all in terms of how we can help how yeah. you know, our listeners can help how your readers can help uh, but I think what you're doing is so you know, fascinating and it's so necessary and I think it could be paving a new way for, for unions moving forward and, and other enterprises where businesses are closing and it's time for the workers to take over So, y'all, we are coming up on our 10 o'clock hard break. Please stay tuned. After the break, we're going to find out what we can do to support the appeal to provide great coverage of criminal injustice in this country.
0: Here in Huntsville, federal employees are an invaluable part of the nation's defense, offering unmatched expertise in engineering and technology and as stewards of taxpayer dollars. What we ask for in return is to be treated with fairness, dignity, and respect. The American Federation of Government Employees, AFGE, Local 1858, is a union of working people looking out for each other, making sure that we're treated right. To inquire about joining or to learn more, call 256-876-4880.
3: Put it there, boy, and we'll show these fascists what a couple of hillbillies can do. back to the Valley Labor Report. We're glad you're listening this morning. Wherever you're listening, whether it's on FM, YouTube, Facebook, however you're hearing us, we appreciate you and your support. Uh, We are talking with two amazing journalists from The Appeal uh, and two amazing union sisters who are fighting to have worker-led media. Uh, and, And there's a couple of things that's really interesting to me about that. First of all, There is a a lack of real media in this country, and it's something we experience quite a bit here in North Alabama. There's just so little coverage of real issues that matter. Uh, Investigative journalism has been decimated. Uh, And and we talked about that when we had the News
1: Guild on here. I mean, labor journalism has been... every, every, Every form of journalism that actually reports... Only happenings of people. If it's not political, it, you know, it's it's. If, you know, right? I mean, you can over. find
3: articles every time Joe Biden or Donald Trump sneezes or goes to the bathroom. But anything that actually affects everyday working class people, uh, good luck finding it. If it's about corruption at the local and state level, good luck finding that. Yeah. Uh, and that is by design. We've talked uh, when we had our news guild discussion. We talked quite a bit about uh, corporate hedge fund takeovers of media and the consolidation of media by uh, corporate entities. And you know that's something that has really impacted. I think all of us who care and want to make a difference. Uh, if you're an activist or an organizer, or just a a regular old citizen who who gives a crap about your community it's hard to address issues that you don't know about
1: yeah it's contributed to the dumbing down of the american population right. for for a reason
3: and and the corporate media that is out there especially cable news and and some of the reactionary garbage you hear on radio stations such as this one sorry jacob uh you know, it's toxic. It's toxic. And I, I consider it a form of psychological pollution, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, so there's the media aspect to this. But there's also the idea of workers taking over industries as they change, collapse, go out of business, however you want to phrase it. Uh, and I, I remember something coming out uh, in the Labor Party's uh, manifesto a few years back when Jeremy Corbyn... Uh, was leader of the Labor Party, I remember they actually had an idea that when businesses are, you know, a factory were to go out of business, the workers themselves, through their union, would have the right of first refusal. Yeah. And before, you know, just letting a factory shutter, they could actually allow the workers to have a plan in place to make it a cooperatively owned business so that it could be up and running uh, regardless of what some hedge fund wants. If if there's a need for the industry if the workers see the need for the industry and they're willing to continue working why not make that happen Uh, it's a great way to have an actual rising tide lift all boats Uh, not the trickle down theory that we've been exposed to for the last you know what 40 50 years of neoliberal hell so uh, with that rant (laughs) over I want to turn it back uh, to our sisters from the appeal and I I would if it's okay with y'all could y'all share a little bit about how how you're going to pull this off and you know what kind of help you need from the community to do that
5: yeah so thankfully (laughs) we have a bunch of really really smart talented people who are like uh, dedicated enough to volunteer their time we had about we have about 20 people working on the transition effort um and we have had a, a real outpouring of support so far and just hope that continues when we uh, a little over a week ago announced um, all this and, and what's been happening behind the scenes. Um, we had like an outpouring of, of support on social media. We were able to raise um, close to thirty thousand dollars from from that. Um, and we also uh, got in touch with some legal counsel to help us out with that, uh, with all the, you know, needs of establishing a new organization. So we're, we're getting there and it's, it's only been like five or so weeks that we've known, Oh, like our we're all losing our jobs and we can work together to save this hopefully. Um, but we do need, you know, when I personally was floored to see that we raised almost $30,000 and I was like really touched to see that people cared enough about what we were doing that they would be willing to, 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 donate their money like that and then i also realized thirty thousand dollars is not even one person's salary and we really have our work cut out for us and there's a lot more we need to do and anna is um spearheading some of the uh the leadership uh efforts and the the donor committee and i think she can talk about more like what what exactly we uh need to do uh to to survive
1: yeah thirty thousand dollars when you're talking about Nonprofit council don't buy much, uh, so yeah, and and I would assume that I mean, as great work as the News Guild has been doing, they haven't been in existence for so long for for for, for very long, so they're not, uh, you know, the financial juggernaut that you see with uh, with a UAW or somebody like that. So I, I would assume financial support needs to be ongoing.
4: Yeah, and um, thanks to our partnership with Scalawag, um, an amazing uh, okay. outlet for Southern journalism and yep. storytelling, um, we've been able to raise those small-dollar donations like, like Meg mentioned, and I think that gets back to what y'all were saying about the media industry. This is like such a different show of solidarity the way that Scalawag stepped up because historically this has been an industry that runs on competition, right. and this is um, one independent outlet to another, um providing some of the infrastructure that we didn't have because we you know we don't have the right to you know the website and things like that where we could fundraise off of now we have a pop-up on the website so if you go to the appeal.org um, there is a way to to get to that donation page um, and yeah, we're going to be seeking out you know major donor support, um, but we we want to diversify that revenue so that we're not as reliant as we have been on on um, grant funding and and try to turn the um, support that we've seen from you know people donating five, ten, and twenty dollars um, into uh, possibly a membership program uh, focused on recurring donations and and one where you know the people that. Um, are finding value in the work that we're doing are in turn shaping that work and that we're you know responsive to the needs of our readers
3: i think that's that's really great stuff and it's like i said earlier i think y'all are pioneering you know some new tactics and and some new paths forward for not just for media but for other industries and other unions and um, I, i think this is That's why we wanted y'all on the show, honestly, because it it is, it's just, it's cool. It's cool what y'all are doing. It's, it's different. Um, you know, the, the journalism that y'all do is incredibly important because we have such a, a broken criminal justice system in this country that disproportionately affects working class people. It is a working class issue. Uh, you know, the working class is much more diverse than our, uh, capitalist elites and unfortunately it's our black and brown brothers and sisters who are targeted first and foremost by this system so the work that you're doing journalistically is important and this work that you're doing to create this new model is going to be something for all of us to keep our eyes on and I hope that by being on today's show that maybe you know there's a few of us who have learned a little bit about what y'all are doing and and can chip in and, and support the cause as well and I I love what Skywag is doing. I I yeah, like Skylig
1: like some friends uh, on the show here.
3: Yeah, they they do great work and, and like you said, it is sort of a competitive industry in media. Everyone's competing for clicks and shares and advertising. So the fact that they teamed up with y'all I think is a yeah, a great demonstration of solidarity.
1: And it gives me an opportunity to uh, throw a jab at my brother, Chris Brooks, because I I talked with Chris Brooks about two months ago, maybe three months ago. We were on a show together uh, in New York City, and and before the show, I asked him, why are we not pushing towards cooperative collective media outlets and he kind of poo-pooed the idea so whenever i seen y'all's announcement <laughs> that that you were working towards a worker on media outlet I, I made sure to tag him in it so if you're listening chris ha 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 i got the last laugh <laughs> <laughs> so, but if you are interested in supporting the appeal i just went to their website the appeal.org i mean it's a media to pop up to to uh the work continue support a worker-led effort to relaunch the appeal and donate to help continue our vital work and some of that vital work is something that we cover regularly here especially with uh the police violence that goes on across the nation um and especially in and minority communities or communities that's that's uh that may be less uh prosperous than than ours so they are doing that work and keeping a spotlight on it, and I think it's important to keep a spotlight on it because uh, this it's it ain't going away you know as much reform as I don't know if I' even call it reform, I hadn't seen much reform, but as much reform as a lot of the Democrats claim that they're trying to push, we're not seeing it so we definitely need to support them in uh, in keeping a spotlight on it
3: absolutely do y'all have any uh, final messages for us or maybe a glimpse into uh, the future of, of the appeal
5: just thank you so much for for having us on and for noticing what we're doing and, and caring about it and we're really excited um for what the future holds for all of us um i'm so impressed by my colleagues every day like i can't I can't believe this is the talent this organization had managed to pull together and then ignored <laughs> before. Uh, and we have some really great reporters, great editors, fact checkers. Um, all working with us. And I'm just so excited to like one of the reasons we organized was because we all came to the appeal because we care so much about its mission to highlight what is going wrong with the criminal justice system and that, that things simply aren't working and that this is literally upending people's lives and causing so much harm.
2: My name is Dr. Zach Hyden, and I am the executive director of the Automotive Free Clinic. I hold a Ph.D. from Berkeley and two automotive service excellence certifications. The Automotive Free Clinic is a 501c3 nonprofit shop in Prattville, Alabama, and I have seven years of experience in the automotive field. We began as a pandemic project in March of 2020 with a dream of providing free and low cost automotive repair to disadvantaged people. Our shop works by providing parts to community members at commercial cost and labor is on a pay what you can basis. Our shop was a mobile repair shop for approximately one year. During that time, we repaired almost 70 vehicles and gave away two vehicles to needy community members. We need your help to continue providing this service. Our staff of about 12 are all volunteers, including two technicians, but we do have overhead, including shop, rent, insurance, service manuals, tools, and utilities. To make a donation, please visit automotivefreeclinic.org. Thank you.
3: Good morning, folks. We are at the Valley Labor Report. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you guys enjoyed uh, that interview with The Appeal. Looking forward to hearing about their success moving forward. Uh, we'll make sure we share that link in, in the comments uh, on the streams as well. Yeah. If you guys can afford it, chip in, support what they're trying to do. I, I think it's really great, innovative work. Uh, and, and don't forget that our brothers and sisters at Teamsters for Democratic Union and Labor Notes could also use your support. I I, I know there's a... If you're like me, you find way more good causes than you have cash uh, to contribute. But uh, if it's possible, if you have a few spare bucks, both of those uh, causes would be a great way to uh, pay it forward and, and show a little bit of solidarity and mutual aid in action.
1: And here's the thing. Uh, you know, we get caught up. I mean, we're constantly, everybody's asking for money because we're not corporate sponsored. You know, we're, this show's not corporate sponsored. Uh, most of the people that are out there doing the work that we're all doing, uh are doing it you know basically on their dime or or you know small people donation dime and we get caught up in thinking if we can't give a hundred dollars or if we can't give fifty dollars then we you know we kind of it's not worth giving a dollar or two dollars and i'm telling you a dollar or two dollars goes a long way you know this the chip in if you got a if you got two bucks chip in two bucks you know if you right. see a worthy cause because a lot of times it's not just the money it's it is the fact that somebody on the receiving end of that sees oh we just got a donation from you know Athens no, Alabama, yeah, Athens, Alabama or, or Las Vegas or uh you know it, New it makes Mexico, a difference. yeah, and so it's it's it helps it helps boost the confidence level that people are doing the right thing. So if you can chip in a buck, if you can chip in twenty bucks, you know, do it, and, and it don't have to be for this. It can be for who, whatever your favorite organization is out there. Just uh, show them some love.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And another thing that that you can do that doesn't cost anything is uh, sharing. And engaging with it on social media, for better or worse, social media is is here and it's something we have to deal with. Now, David and I are on the same page about how toxic it is and we both take our breaks from it. But, you know, it's it's a tool yeah. and, and like any tool, it can be used for good or for bad. Uh, we're trying to use it for, for good to promote the message of the labor movement and really the working class more broadly here in, in the Tennessee Valley and across the South. But if you can, like, subscribe, share, comment. Those things do make a difference. Uh, That's how you basically have to interact with this algorithm uh, that doesn't exactly, you know, shove the Valley Labor Report and and Scalawag and these kind of media outlets in your face.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and coming off of that, you know, I would like to throw a bone to Terrence Ray with the Trillbillies because uh, some of y'all, you know, a lot of the local listeners may not uh, know, uh, but, you know, most of the social media followers and the online listeners will that that follow any of us know that uh, Terrence wrote an article for The Baffler, which I subscribe to. It's a great uh, print media uh, outlet. That uh, it's kind of an anarchist outlet, but it's a you know there's there's great things that come out of it. Uh, ideas and man, he wrote an article that was just amazingly written on uh, on the the drug, the opioid uh, epidemic, in up in Kentucky and, and well, you know most of most of America, but his perspective was on. On that, that region. And uh, it really made a good case for why most southern white males that are completely against defund the police should reconsider their position. And uh, it, it was brilliantly written. I mean, I don't know how many hours it guy spent, but it took me it took me over an hour to get through the article because i kept going back and rereading it because there was just so much information and it was so well researched so if you got some time look look up the baffler it's been shared i shared it on twitter but uh it's all over you 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 can you can read the article for free but i'd highly recommend especially guys like me guys my age that typically have it made you know so called have it made (laughs) in society need to understand you know uh, my family is is plagued with addiction you know
3: everybody uh, listening has friends and family members impacted by addiction or by the consequences of our government response to addiction.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that was kind of the the whole intent of the article was to show that not only has the government's response been absolutely horrendous, the criminal justice system's been absolutely horrendous, but they've also convinced us to be absolutely horrendous to our neighbors and to our family, because these people that have fallen prey and and myself being one of them to, you know, these uh, uh, addictive painkillers and and other things that they're they're terrible people and they're not, you know, they're mostly working class people that uh, that's, that's been injured on the job. Right. uh, and, And, you know, that these things happen, but it was a great article, and I don't want to go on and on about it. But if you get a chance, get out there and read it because, and and share it because it will it will certainly it is written well enough it 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 will affect the people around you if if given the opportunity to read it.
3: I think so too, and and there's so many parallels between you know the conditions he was describing in rural Kentucky, uh, and and many of our areas right here in this oh, listening yeah. area, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, any blue collar worker that works for a living has had some type of injury. You know, I, I bro- broke my back in my twenties doing doing my work, and and got hooked on painkillers. So you know, it's it, it's not like you don't know somebody. It's just been so demonized that no one wants to say, hey, "Hey, I got a problem."
3: Well, and I mean, right here in Huntsville, we've seen a kind of a a rash of, of overdose deaths. Recently, yeah. in, among you know many uh, mutual friends and, and people that I'm aware of. Uh, we've got the problem that opioids have shifted into heroin, which shifted into fentanyl. And yeah, which,
1: w- which we all seen coming. <laughs> right. As soon as the government cracks down on pain pills, then, I mean, you're, you, you only have one option. There is, there is no other option for an addict, and that's to go to something that may be more illicit, that, that's easy to find. And, and truth be known, that it's cheaper. Right. Well, I mean, and that's the thing
3: is that we have sick people. Uh, whether because they were hurt on the job, or because of you know past trauma in their lives, or, or, or you know addiction in their families, people who are sick and they have not been given care, they've been given incarceration well. and demonization. Uh, one of the things that stood out to me in that article was the way in which local media, uh, you know, sensationalizes yeah. addiction and so-called. Crime waves. And and that's, man, is that relevant And lies about it.
1: And and flat out lies about it. Right. That that was some of the points in the article. Right.
3: I I mean, you know, just completely false statistics about, you know, these imaginary crime waves. And we're seeing that uh, resurgent in in the mainstream media right now. Uh, They want you to be scared about crime. They want you to be scared about uh, your neighbors who may be addicts. And they need help. Yeah. Uh, now, they don't want to do anything about poverty. They don't want to do anything about any of the root causes of crime. But they want you to be scared of crime. And they want to exaggerate and inflate the statistics. Uh, and they want to do that to justify their own abusive policies that created yeah. these problems this in the first
1: place. A, yeah, this authoritarian – yeah.
3: And, and that's the thing that, that has stood out to me is, you know, like, like – virtually everyone else listening to this show, I've lost loved ones to addiction and and seen firsthand how how much of a struggle it can be. But the truth is, I know plenty of people, and you do too, who had more devastating consequences from the police state and the way we treat addiction than the drugs themselves. Yeah. Because if there's anything that's more dangerous than opioids, it's probably going to jail.
1: Yeah, when you're addicted, yeah.
3: Uh, you know, being beaten by police, being incarcerated when you're dealing with an addiction, uh, and unfortunately, even even a weekend stay in jail doesn't guarantee that you walk out of there alive on Monday. Yeah, and, and those are the you know the de- devastating consequences from our drug policy that has failed.
1: You know, and it's it's fairly fiscal. Yeah, and it's a fiscal issue, too, because there's going to be a lot of conservatives that listen to this radio show that's going to say, well, they get what they deserve, yada, yada, yada. But you shouldn't be doing this. There's a fiscal, uh, financial uh, component to this, too, that directly affects your pocket. So let's talk for just one second to those libertarians and conservatives that's only concerned about money. Yeah. it directly affects your wallet. If you think uh, that it's cheap to keep somebody locked up in jail, uh, go down there and talk to your local sheriff. I can promise you, it's not cheap. So, and it's not because they are given great conditions. No, I and, mean by all means,
3: it's not because they're living in luxury.
1: Yeah, I'm one of the one of the points in Terrence's article is they said. For every dollar that is spent in rehabilitation, the city, and this was the, the, the area's uh, statistics that they had uh, came up with. For every dollar that they spent in rehabilitation, they saved $2.70 wow. in incarceration. So, you know, it's financially, it's fiscally responsible, but it's also uh, emotionally the, the right thing to do as well.
3: Right, right. I mean, the war on drugs has been
1: a war on people. I mean, it's like not, the not, war on terror is a joke.
3: Right, right. It's, it's a war on people, yeah. especially black and brown people and disproportionately working class people because wealthy drug addicts, they're not the ones going to jail. Nah. Nah. Multi nah. drug addicts are the ones who have access to rehab. Yeah. They have access to treatment. As, as with every war folks, that
1: we've yeah, every war we've started in the past fifty years in the United States has been a joke, just as with the war on terror, just as the war on drugs, just as the war on communism. We wage these constant battles because we need an enemy. That's uh, it's the unfortunate part of being an American. Well, that's how you keep the dollars flowing. And
3: those of us in the Huntsville area know that all too well because we know our economy floats on the uh, federal war machine. So uh, with all that said, I do want to mention that we will be discussing everything happening in the labor movement across the South when we get back uh, from this commercial break. And there's some uh, very troubling news coming out of Brookwood, Alabama about continued violence on the picket line. So all that and more after this break. Stay tuned to the Valley Labor Report.
0: You're listening to the Valley Labor Report. If you're looking for contractors with lower than average EMR and TRIR, if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, if you need iron workers that come trained and certified at no extra cost or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Iron Workers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors and can do all kinds of jobs from Roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama, so you know they're legit. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Iron Workers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256-383. 3-3-3-4 That's 256-383-3334. Or via email at local four seven seven at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report.
3: Is Alabama's only union labor radio show. Uh, we are here preaching the gospel of solidarity. Working uh, class, kicking ass. That's right. That's right. I think we're allowed to say that. I'm not sure. If, if not, then please send those complaints to Jacob Morrison. Since he's not here today, he can get the complaints. Uh, so, as promised, I wanted to share, share with everyone what's happening across the country, particularly in the Southeast, with unions. And uh, as you know, those of you who've been listening lately, we get this from Jonah Furman. He's a great writer, an organizer, and he puts out, Who Gets the Bird?, ends up in your inbox every thursday to friday uh please subscribe please uh if you can donate to him as well he is doing something really cool which is monitoring anything and everything that's happening with the national labor relations board and virtually anything else he can find happening in the world of labor so this star with some new organizing here in the south there are 17 workers with Amerigas Propane and Brooksville, Florida, organizing with Teamsters Local 79. We have 11 HVAC technicians with Vulcan Heating right here in Madison, Alabama, hey. unionizing with UA Local 760. And who is
1: UA Local 760? That's the uh, plumbers. Oh, okay, Pipetters. that's plumbers profit. Okay, so they just call them what is UA? You, you know, uh,
3: I. Been yeah, because that myself. Yeah, <laughs> I, I seen that
1: last. Well, I think it was Thursday night it come out, and I was like, "Who in the world is UA?" Maybe that's the plumbers and pipefitters, but uh, yeah,
3: I, you know that that one confused me as well. But those are uh, the ply, uh, plumbers and pipefitters out of uh, Muscle Shoals area, I believe, is local, local ah, seven sixty.
1: Okay, so cool. Well, good on uh, them. Yeah, if shout y'all are out. Listening, shout, shout out to those local boys uh, organizing.
3: There are nine workers for steel and aluminum products company, EMJ Metals, in Orlando, Florida, who are organizing with the steel workers. Uh, While this one's not in the south, I thought it was kind of funny. Eight bud tenders at a weed dispensary in Seattle are organizing with UFCW Local
1: 21. So, uh, good on them. There's been a lot of that in the last year. Most of them have been going with the Teamsters, but, you know, good to see UFCW coming in there. Yeah, absolutely.
3: Absolutely. Uh, 39 case managers for healthcare contractor comprehensive health services in el paso texas voted 11 to 7 to join operating engineers local 351 uh, that was a win unfortunately there was also a loss here in the south 19 workers at airbag manufacturer Daycell cell and beaver dam kentucky voted 5 to 13 against joining ua local 633 Moving on, there are um, uh, quite a few uh, strike actions that I'm going to get back to here in just a second, Uh, but in terms of some internal union politics, we talked with grad school workers recently. Uh, There's an update on that front, but at Columbia, the Columbia University Grad Worker Unit of UAW Local 2110 has elected a new bargaining committee. And that is part of a fallout from their long strike. uh, Excuse me. That's part of the long fallout from their strike effort this spring. It appears that the group that opposed the strike settlement and helped organize the no vote on the tentative agreement swept the elections. They promptly renamed themselves the Student Workers of Columbia, which indicates that they are looking to bring undergrad student workers into the union as well. The National Education Association held their annual meeting and representative assembly this past week. Uh, Not a lot came out about that one. Uh, The NEA representative assembly is actually considered to be the largest democratic deliberative body uh, in the world. In other words, it is the largest group of folks in one room voting on stuff. Yeah. And... um, I served as an NEA delegate and I, I, it was a really an amazing experience. No matter what union you belong to, I so encourage you to run as a delegate. And if you can attend your state or national assembly, convention, whatever y'all call it, it is a uh, eye-opening experience to learn more about your union. It's an eye-opening experience to see the diversity of your union. And uh, maybe most importantly, it just builds a lot of relationships and connections. So, to all of our union members who are listening if you haven't run for delegate yet we expect you to run in your next election yeah and if you're a little bit on the fence about it feel free to reach out to us because uh, i've served as a national delegate david i believe you have as well Uh, i believe jacob has as well so we have experience in that and it's a it's a great thing to do
1: it's important for your, the, 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 the democratic functioning of your union as well. I mean, it is uh, the utmost importance to for people to be involved and be pushing democracy in the union and not just sitting back and letting the union, as many people like to refer to it, uh, run things. Right. The I mean, workers it, should run things. And
3: that's something we hear about a lot, you know, the union being treated as a third party. Uh, But unions are democratic organizations. But like any democracy, it's only as healthy as its participants. Yeah. So if you sit back and let it, Yes, a union can start to resemble a third party. Those people over there are up there that you call on occasionally. Uh, but it's really up to members, the rank and file, to hold the leaders' feet to the fire and to actually participate and drive the direction of your union. And that's what they do at these national assemblies is vote on resolutions and platforms and constitutions. So uh, moving back to some of the strike and bargaining activities happening across the country, Um, As I mentioned, there was some pretty uh, disturbing news that there has been more violence at the picket line in Brookwood, Alabama.
1: Unsurprisingly. Uh,
3: Unfortunately, not surprising. This is, uh, if you've been paying attention, you know this has happened uh, quite a bit, unfortunately, where you have, uh, in some cases, scabs, in some cases, people in management who are literally driving their vehicles into a picket line full of people, including women and children. Yeah. Uh, and we have had uh, UMWA brothers and sisters hurt down there on the picket line. Uh, and, and it's really, it's reprehensible. And, I, I, you know, I just don't have much I can say on FM radio about that.
1: Well, they're going to New York to picket uh, this upcoming Wednesday from 9 a.m. Eastern until noon. So any of our sisters, brothers, and uh comrades that may be in new york listening to the show if you if you got the opportunity go out and uh, pick it with them i heard uh kim's gonna be out there uh covering it so uh you can meet her have an opportunity to meet her she's she's awesome uh labor reporter one of the one of the very last of the true labor reporters uh so yeah get up there and uh and uh show your support
3: yeah uh That protest is going to be at BlackRock, and BlackRock is one of these uh, nefarious hedge funds that is one of the major backers of Warrior Met, uh, among other things. Yeah. Uh, Pretty much anywhere you look, it seems BlackRock has their dirty fingers in it. Uh, So, shout out to our minor brothers and sisters going up to New York to picket. Uh, for more information on that, uh, I know we've plugged it before, but definitely follow Kim Kelly that David just mentioned, at Grim Kim. And she has been collaborating with The Real News Network. Max. And, and our friend Max Alvarez. They have done a video series. Uh, the latest episode is about the Miner's Auxiliary, the Miner's Wives, who are hellraisers and and just real heroes in my opinion about what they are doing uh to keep the line going so check that out if you haven't already the
1: real news network is another one of those media outlets that's really turning a corner and starting to do a lot of great coverage yeah absolutely you know uh it's it's a struggling media outlet, just like most of them are. So Max is bringing Max, you know, a friend of our show, been on several times. He's kind of bringing new light to it. But it's also they they to me it it appears that they've taken a new direction and covering more organized labor and working class issues uh, since he's come on board. And I think any time. Uh, media is covering issues as close to our heart we need to be supporting. Absolutely
3: Uh, if you're not familiar Max is also working uh, with In These Times Magazine in a collaboration with Real News to put out Working People which is a podcast about working people. Imagine that actually talking to regular working folks. Yeah. Uh, Not something that happens in the media very often so you know one of the things we like to do in this show is promote people who are doing good work and that's what that's that's all about. In terms of people doing good work, we have some nurses up in Massachusetts who have been on the line for months now. Uh, the St. Vincent Hospital, Massachusetts Nurse Association, that strike has become a really a rallying point for all of labor. Uh, there was a recent uh, conference call where they really tried to rally the troops and get all of the labor movement behind them. Um, I know that Sarah Nelson and other national labor figures have started – Promoting the cause, and the strike is at its 18-week mark. So that's that's quite a long time to be on strike. After three Volvo, months, Volvo actually yeah, voted so, Thursday uh, night. So uh, originally, Friday. I was going to tell you there weren't much updates on Volvo, but but breaking news that yeah. yes, there there is an update. So uh, the Volvo truck strike in Dublin, Virginia, had yet another tentative agreement put out, and. I believe this is the third time in a row that that TA was voted down resoundingly by the rank-and-file membership yep. of UAW Local 2069. So, you know, usually when you see something like that, that tells you one, if not two things. Uh, usually indicates the company has dug their heels in and they're not given much ground. It may also indicate that, you know, the bargaining committee is not necessarily uh, putting out something that the rank-and-file wants. Uh, For whatever reason, you know, whether that is company obstruction or or anything else. So, you know, I'm not in a position to comment on that case specifically, but, uh, you know, shout out to those workers who have maintained their strike and are determined to get an agreement that they actually can believe in.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, and, you know, to the bargaining committee's defense, there is a lot of times serving on the bargaining committee numerous occasions it's a thankless in my job life. For it's a thing. thankless job. And many times your arm is being twisted by other people. Yes. Uh, you know, so, uh, th- I, you know, for for all the great things that unions do, they do like to keep workers on the job because that's their livelihood. Uh, especially uh, your, your non-rank and file uh, officials. They, that's how they earn their living is through our dues, and they don't like to, for us to be on strike. Simple as that. So you know the bargaining committee may be having their arms twisted a little bit in the back in the back rooms, but you know if they're anything like our bargaining committee. Uh, they're coming out and talking to people on the floor saying, absolutely reject this contract. Right. No matter what See, that, that also happens a lot where the bargaining
3: committee comes out with an agreement, and they know it sucks, and they'll tell you straight up it sucks, but yeah. but it's the agreement that could get hammered out at the table that they have an obligation to
1: present to the membership. Yeah, And uh, in many cases, I can tell you on the last contract that we came out of, a, a, a substantial bonus was tied to us recommending the contract so it was an eight thousand dollar bonus if we recommended the contract if we did not recommend the contract it was no bonus and so you come out and you say we recommend this contract based on eight thousand dollar bonus and then you walk down after you've left the podium and tell everyone, I, I, personally, I would never vote for this contract a day of my life. Right? You know, uh, you have a you have a responsibility to do what's in the membership's best interest, and leaving eight thousand dollars on the table is certainly not in the membership's best interest. But there's other ways of handling that as well. Uh, when you act as a bargaining committee, you do what's in the best interest of the membership, and when you walk away, you tell them what you actually think about that contract
3: yeah and i think that's that's why what you mentioned earlier about internal democracy in your union and being engaged that's why that's so important and that also harkens back to our interview with those teamster brothers and what they are trying to do to have a more democratic union uh continuing on there's not too far from here in tullahoma tennessee hundreds of metal trades workers at arnold air force base went on strike uh, that's the first time they've been on strike since 1990. While this is a little outside the South, uh, over in Topeka, Kansas, around 600 Frito Lay workers have gone on strike, and that's the first time yeah. they've been on strike in that factory since it unionized in the 1970s. Yeah. So that everybody's pissed off. Yeah, uh, imagine that. Uh, people we just are come out a year and a half. Uh, we were uh, pretty tired of being screwed over and. Uh, Proud to see many of our brothers and sisters standing up and fighting back. Yeah. Uh, The months-long lockout at ExxonMobil in Beaumont, Texas, is continuing to drag on uh, with USW Local 13243. They've been meeting with the company, but making no progress. And so that's a little bit about some of the strike activities that are happening uh, across the country, especially here in the South. And part of the reason we we share that with you is, for one thing, you're not going to hear it from from other news. Uh, But the other thing is to maybe give you a little inspiration. In some of these cases, it's a dozen workers or less. No matter where you work, no matter what your industry, if you work for a living, if you sell your labor, you can organize. And if you can organize, you can have a union. And if necessary and when necessary, you can go on strike and fight back, too.
1: It's it's amazing how many people think that I I can't get a union here.
0: We'll come back. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. The American Federation of Government Employees, AFGE, Local 1858, believes all workers are entitled to fairness, dignity, and respect. AFGE also knows that the best way to guarantee proper treatment is for workers to stand together, united, looking out for each other. In AFGE, we fight for workers every day to ensure a workplace that is safe and free from harassment. If you're a federal employee and want to be a part of this union, to protect yourself and your fellow workers, call 256-876-4880.
3: up with me today uh, and David Story, our OG back in the house. Really glad to have David here. Uh, it's been a while since you've been on the mic, so.
1: I was just here last week, wasn't I? Yeah, there, y'all that's helped true, me that's true. Last I mean, you kind of
3: popped your head in the door, yeah. so, um, but it's, yeah. it's been nice to have you back for old times, and. Um, For old times. Time like, sake, uh, you know. Um, so one thing that uh, I know David wanted to mention was about the IWW. Yeah, the uh, Wobblies. Coming to Huntsville. Coming so, to Huntsville. Tell hey, us how about you,
1: that. Hide your wife, hide your kids. <laughs> <laughs>
3: He's kidding. He's kidding.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, uh, to the best of my knowledge, this is the first time in, in U.S. history that the – uh, Industrial Workers of the World it will be holding their uh, North American Conference in the state of Alabama, in Huntsville, of all places. and That's really cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you're talking about the Union of Debs, the Union of Mother Jones. Uh, Big Bill Haywood. Yeah, the, the Union of Big Bill. I mean, you're talking about all of these... Uh, I mean, people that we read now, I mean, consistently read now is coming to Huntsville, Alabama. And, I, you know, we had a little part in that. And, I, man, I'm just I'm super excited. I'm uh, super enthused to to welcome all of our uh, what well, they don't call ourselves brothers and sisters. They call ourselves fellow workers. Uh, and that's basically what we are Uh, all fellow workers but all of our fellow workers across the nation to Alabama show them that because several of them mentioned I'm just going to be completely honest several of them mentioned hey we're worried about coming to Alabama it's a very reactionary state we're worried for our safety uh, because of the way the media portrays uh, and in many cases because of the way a lot of people in our community react to things so you know it's not as bad as what they hear on the uh, in, in, in through the grapevine, and uh, you know, show that uh, for 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 all of our faults, we are trying to push forward and organize a working class, uh, resistance to capital. That's right, and and
3: hopefully we can show them some good southern hospitality. Well, you know
1: they're going to get good food. Oh,
3: absolutely, they're going to have gonna good, good food. food. We're going to teach them all about biscuits and gravy and sweet tea and all the good stuff <laughs> that we do here in the south. Mm. Uh, so yeah, that's I think that's a really exciting thing to see IWW coming to Huntsville. There is an active Huntsville IWW branch of which yeah. uh,
1: both of us are members, and, and that's something you know. Right before we went into the break, that's something you know that you were mentioning was a lot of people think. And and, then I mentioned a lot of people think uh, they're at a restaurant and they can't have a union there. I mean, PU, the the amount of dis- misinformation that's out there that's been told, oh, oh, we're in a right-to-work state, so we can't have a union. These um, these yeah, concepts. That, people really
3: believe that. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, and that was one of the reasons that we founded the branch here and the IWW branch here in Huntsville because through the machinists, it's difficult for me to organize a restaurant worker or a service worker. Worker, you know, and 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 specific industries, but with the IWW, it being. Uh a non-staff organization non-paid staff organization it's an all-volunteer organization it don't have the overhead that your traditional unions does and so it's made up mainly of volunteers like myself like you like Jacob that have that organizing knowledge and are able to help instruct people how to build solidarity in their workplace so yeah I mean and I guess the short of it is uh, you can have a union anywhere and it's cheap you know you hear about Union do So the IWW, I mean, it's nothing. It's a few dollars a month. Yeah. If you're listening to this and you don't
3: already have an affiliation, or even if you do, uh, I really encourage you to check out your local IWW branch, especially oh, yeah. those of you right here in the Tennessee Valley. Uh, please join up with the Huntsville branch. Uh, we'd love to have you in the branch. You don't have yeah. to, even if you think, well, you know what? I, I, I don't have it in me to unionize my workplace right now. That's fine. Educate join, yourself. Join in so that you can meet some comrades, so that you can uh, yeah, be educated, learn some new skills, meet good people. Uh, that's what it's all about. IWW has a very different model of unionism. Very different. And once you get into, you know, once you're like labor movement nerds like us, you can start to see, you know, how the different models operate and the pros and cons of all of them.
1: Yeah, and it's important, like you said. You know, we're I'm a dual card member, so I carry a card with the machinist union. I carry a card with the IWW, and I think it's important for uh, any local union member that may be with the pipe fitters, or may be with IBW, or the machinists, uh, or AEA, or any other uh, affiliated union with AFLCO to also support because you have that capability of joining the IWW and supporting the push for uh the least of these the workers that are not able to organize through your union there's there's other possibilities and you can help
3: yeah and that's really what it's all about is is not just the workers in your workplace but all of us as a class as the working class of of this country and this community uh, and speaking of our country and community, uh, these last couple of minutes, I, I just have to take—I have to take a, a moment of personal privilege to rant about our city of Huntsville. Uh, you know, oddly enough, the last time and the only time that David and I hosted an episode together was right after uh, the conviction of William Darby and the asinine statements from Huntsville's police chief and Huntsville's mayor and. Like clockwork, uh, here we are again. David and I stuck together on this radio show on a Saturday morning just days after the city of Huntsville uh, showing themselves to be reactionaries and foolish. So if you haven't, caught, catch, uh, if you haven't been keeping up, William Darby, police, chief, uh, police officer in Huntsville City. He was convicted of murder by a jury of his peers. He remains on the payroll. Uh, that is your tax dollars at work, maintaining his pay. Uh, apparently, he is on FMLA. Uh, and, you know, apparently, the police chief sent out an email soliciting uh, sick leave donations from other city employees to help maintain his pay. Uh You know, there's some disputes about where that email came from and whether it's about Darby. Uh, Ashley Remkus on AO.com has done a great job documenting that and investigating that. Uh, Definitely encourage you to check that out. So the other thing that's interesting here is, and I mentioned it previously, uh, that, you know, a lot of money, hundreds of thousands of dollars were spent to provide a list of problems that Huntsville police had presented Uh, including with their violence they enacted on peaceful protesters about a year ago uh, last summer. And the city of Huntsville promptly uh, ignored all of that. Uh, They did finally come out with some written response, I believe it was a week or so ago. Uh, To sum it up, basically, they're not going to do anything. Uh, They didn't do anything wrong, they think. Uh, They'll be glad to take more of your tax dollars for training. Uh, And what did they spend the city council meeting doing this week on Thursday? Well, Council President Jenny Robinson, much like her time on the Huntsville School Board, made it a point to try to make it harder for taxpaying citizens to show up to the city council meeting and speak their piece. So of all the problems that you have to deal with, including uh, the congested roads, the lack of planning for the influx of Huge numbers of people coming into this area, Uh, not to mention the fundamentally unjust criminal system that you have in this city. And that's what the city council decides to spend their time on is debating and voting on bylaws, which will try to make it harder for you to participate as a citizen to try to discourage you from showing up to your city council meeting and speaking, which is your right.
1: Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing, ain't it? Yeah, I mean, mean it it's just kind of goes zoo. to show that there is no democracy in this it country. It is deja
3: vu because we, we saw the same song and dance with the Huntsville School Board, which Jenny Robinson was a part of that previously. Uh, the new bylaws were, were passed four to one. Shout out to Councilman Kling for opposing that. Um, I know that he, he felt it was... a basically a waste of time to be arguing over that when there are so many other important issues Yeah, and I think it was very revealing if you go back and check some of the, the comments from the council last Thursday night yeah, including counsel, councilwoman Acreage. they all but came out and said it was because they were tired of people complaining they don't want you showing up they don't want you asking for change or reform they just want you to shut up stay quiet don't be engaged don't pay attention uh, just, just let them keep doing their thing. So, uh, on that sour note, we're going to wrap things up today. Uh, go to your next city council meeting. Please go to your next city council meeting and follow Citizens Council, uh, Citizens Coalition for Justice Reform. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Adam Keller. Been here with David Story. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Thank you so much. All power to the working class.